Hi, and welcome to the Christian Fundamentals Foundations course. As we journey through these lessons together, my hope is that your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ will find meaningful expression and lead you on to maturity and fruitfulness in your walk with Him. I trust that this lesson will guide and encourage your heart. I want you to, as we come into our lesson tonight, um, we can see that the purpose of the lesson, as outlined in your notes, is to understand what genuine repentance means and how to cooperate with the Spirit of God in turning our hearts towards Him. And really, to me, this is why I love the subject, turning our hearts towards Him is really what the wonder of repentance is all about. On one hand, I want you to, to think of tonight's lesson as something interesting and new that we're going to learn together. But in another way, I want you to think of tonight's lesson as we sit here and share together as a invitation. This is an invitation from God, almost as though He's holding His hand out to you, asking you to trust Him, to put your hand in His hand, because God wants to take you up to something new, something higher than where you are, something higher than what you and I can see, and that is deeper into who He is, into the glory and into the wonder of who He is. And understanding that if I'm going to go that way, there may be things that I'm going to have to let go of that look brilliant and wonderful to me now. But in comparison to where he wants to take me, take me, it's, it's almost like filthy rags. So that's really what tonight's all about. That's what repentance and, and the message of repentance is all about. And that's why it's a subject that's it's actually uh, very dear to my heart. I like teaching on the subject of repentance because when we understand it, we, we get to cooperate with God's grace in drawing closer to who, to, into who He is. So before we dive into the subject in depth, I want to just lay out for you what the rest of this course is going to look like. We see the foundational scripture that this whole course is based on is found in Hebrews chapter 6, and it's verses 1 and 2, which say, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. What does he mean, perfection? Maturity, wholeness in our faith. Not laying again the foundation of, and here we have the foundational doctrines. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So those, as you can see, as we've mentioned, they, are, they outline the foundational doctrines and they kind of set the skeleton for what this course is really all about. I will say this, when I compiled this course, you'll, you'll notice that throughout this course there's a lot of quotes by Derek Prince. Derek Prince uh, is no longer with us, but he really was one of the greatest Bible teachers of, of our age. He really was a thorough teacher of the Word of God. And I got hold of a book of his called The Spirit-Filled Believer's Guide. And he, that really helped me compile many of these things. But I will say this, that if I had understood some of the truths that I'm going to be sharing with you throughout the course of this um, course, when I was a much younger man, I probably would have made some, I like to think I would have made some different decisions um, along the way. Uh, so here's what we're going to be looking at. To, we've done last week the foundation, which is God's Word. That's where we're drawing from. Tonight we're looking at repentance from dead works. After that, we move to faith towards God, and there's going to be two lessons on that, on that subject. Understanding faith, what is it? And then we're going to be talking about faith for salvation. 
We're then going to move on to the doctrine of baptisms, which is actually broken down over four lessons. We're going to be defining what baptism is and baptism in water and speaking about baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to move on to laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, also broken down over two weeks. And we're going to end with our final lesson, which is called on to perfection or wholeness or maturity. So that's what the rest of this course is going to look like from this point out. So we've still got a good few weeks ahead of us. In your notes at point number three, we're going to look now at the foundational scripture for this lesson on repentance from dead works. And that is found in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, which says this. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. Uh, it's, it's the good news of the kingdom of God. Very interesting. I'm not going to delve in this, into this tonight, but you never see throughout Scripture Jesus preaching the gospel of salvation. Uh, although salvation is a part of the gospel, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, there's this message of a kingdom that is coming to rule and reign in earth through the hearts of men by the power of the Spirit of God. So he calls us to repent and to believe in the gospel. So let's look at this word repent, because it's a good thing that we understand what we're talking about when we say the word repent. A lot of people have different ideas of what this word means. So the first thing to say is that repentance is not an emotion. It's not just sadness. It's not uh, a feeling. It may come with feeling, it may come with an emotion, but it's not just sorrow or feeling sad or feeling bad. It's also not remorse or regret. In other words, it's not associated with shame. <laughs> and that's really important that I say that tonight. Because when people hear the word repentance, immediately there's this sense of shame. I, I know because maybe it was just me, but I used to think that way and feel that way. When, when you hear this word repent, it's the, oh, in other words, it's assumed I must be doing something wrong or there's something bad in where I am. Now that may be true, but repent is so much more of an invitation into something wonderful than it is about focusing on the wrong or the bad. Repentance is also not a list of rituals or transactions or ordinances or things that you have to do. What repentance is, is as follows. In the New Testament, what we're going to do is we're going to take the Hebrew word from the Old Testament, the Greek word from the New Testament, understand both of them and bring them together to get a full understanding of what repentance truly is. So the New, the, Greek, the New Testament word is a Greek word and it's the word metanoin, which means to change your mind. To change, not just your mind on something, but really to change the way you think. It's not just about what you think, but it's the way you think. And therefore, repentance in the New Testament is always a decision. It's an act of the will. We choose to repent. It begins with a change of mind. You see that word metanoin, it's the same root Greek word that we get the word metamorphosis from. And the same way that a, a, little, a little worm climbs or weaves itself into a cocoon and 
emerges as something new. A metamorphosis has taken place. It's completely new. It's completely different. So likewise, repentance is changing from one thing into something completely new or shifting our minds. It's an inward conviction, a change of inward conviction, and it's a change of attitude towards God. If you want to underline a word, underline that word attitude. Attitude towards God. It's my response towards God. It's the way I feel to, about Him. It's the way I think about Him. And repentance brings me a new attitude, a new approach towards God. Now the Old Testament word, uh, or references to the word mean to return, or to turn, or to turn back. In other words, it's, the, the Hebrew thinking is a very practical uh, and a very expressive way of, of thinking. So really what they mean is with repentance is, I was facing in one direction, but then I repented, and so I'm facing in a completely new and different direction. It's, a, it's, it's like a, a complete 180 degree turn. So we see if we start bringing these together that the New Testament refers to an inward decision. The Old Testament word refers to an outward expression based on that inward decision. And so really by combining these together, we get the complete definition of repentance, which is an inner change of mind or a change of heart resulting in a turning back or turning around to face and move in a completely new direction. So really you can see here, you can understand why in some ways repentance can be an emotional thing. But repentance is not always emotional. I've had moments of repentance in my life that have been deeply convicting and therefore filled with emotion and filled with such joy in coming into peace and into harmony with God's thoughts about that situation or about myself. But I've had other, other things where I've repented, I've changed the way I've thought about something and it hasn't required an emotional response. I just realized that the way I was thinking was wrong. It was not God's way of thinking. And I was able to correct that and move in a different direction. So a good example, uh, of, a biblical example of what repentance can look like is found in the parable of the prodigal son. Now for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into the whole parable. You can find it in Luke 15, 11 to 32. And you're welcome to study that in your own time. But for those of you, I will paraphrase the story very briefly. A, a very wealthy man or father had two sons. And the youngest son said, Dad, give me my inheritance. I want it now. And so the father gave him his inheritance. And the son left. And he went off and he lived it up. And he was having parties. And he was jawling. And he was having a really good time. And uh, he actually ended up spending all his money and finding that he had nothing. He just wasted all his inheritance. And we, the story traces this young man down to a place where he is so poor, so broken, so hooked on so many things that he is found in, in, in a farmer's land feeding the pigs. And the, the verse actually says he, 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 he was longing for the food that the pigs were e eating. That is how, how hungry he was and how down and out he was. And then he has this moment where he realizes that even the servants in his father's house have more bread than they can eat. And so he's going to go home and he's going to ask his father if he would take him back as a servant. And we know that the story is the father sees his son coming off in a far away. He runs to greet him and he hugs him and he kisses him and he, 
he, he welcomes him back and he says, kill the fatted calf and uh, let's celebrate because my son who was lost is returned. And there's so many more things that go into the story, but the point that I'm trying to draw out here is the point of repentance. And so what we see in that story, if we go and read it, is first of all that the son had a realization of his true state. Down there in the pig pen, uh, verse 17 says, he came to his senses, or I think the New King James says, he came to himself. In other words, where was he before? He was in some kind of deception that he thought he was so great, he thought he had all the stuff, he thought he had it all together. He had this idea about himself that wasn't true. And in that pig pen, at his lowest point, he came to himself. He had a realization of his true state. And then he had an inner change of heart or change of mind. And he says, I'm going to get up and go to my father. Now, in this instance, what we see is personal pride giving way to genuine humility. He had to now go back and face his father. This is no small thing. Dad, everything you worked your life to give me, I've squandered it. I've lost it all. I've got nothing to show for it. And I've got to come now and I've got to face my dad and I have to admit the truth about myself that I've messed up, that I've lost it all, that there's nothing left and my life is in a complete mess. And I come back hat in hand begging that he would just at least take me as a servant. So this, this, this heart attitude have changed from pride to humility. And in the third point there, he acted on his decision and he got up and he came to his father. You see... The act of repentance not only says, I have sinned or I have got it wrong, but it also says, I will return to my father. You see, this is more than just an acknowledgement of guilt. Repentance is not just an acknowledgement of guilt that I've done things wrong. It is a restoration in my heart of humility and of meekness before God. Isn't that incredible? And that's, that's, that's where genuine and true heart transformation takes place. It's not just that I'm saying, oh, I'm sorry, but I haven't changed. I'm not returning to the Father. That's not genuine repentance. Because I've been caught in cycles like this, and I'm sure you have too. You say sorry, and then oh, a few days later, you're doing the same thing, or you've got the same bad attitude, or you're struggling with the same thing. That's not genuine repentance. Genuine repentance is when the heart transformation is so deep and and that, that I've actually changed the way I think about that situation to the point where I'm now walking in the grace and the life of Jesus in that area of my life. And we're going to get onto that a little bit later. So having looked at the parable of the prodigal son, I come to point number five now, which says that repentance comes before faith. True repentance must always come before true faith can be there. Why? Because one can't exercise faith without an attitude of humility and dependence. You see, this is the opposite of pride. For me to come into faith, I have to have had a realization. I have to have turned from the way I am thinking to embrace something completely new. That's why without true repentance, there can be no true faith. That's why a lot of people, they want to pray the prayer. They want to pray the prayer so that they can be saved. But their hearts have not repented. They, they have not turned away from the old ways. And so what happens? It's not a sincere prayer made in humility and meekness before God. It's, there is no genuine repentance accompanying it. That's why the, um, 
John the Baptist, he said, you know, we're looking for those with fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, that there's actually evidence in their lives that a change has happened. The first response that Christ, expect, that Christ expects of us is not to believe, but it's to repent. We go back to that foundation scripture that we looked at in Mark. It says, the time is fulfilled. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, unless you are willing to repent, unless you are willing to turn, the avenue for faith is not available to you. So first we repent and then we believe. And we see this pattern throughout Scripture. Here's a couple of references for us. Luke 24, 46 and 47. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, And thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What must be re preached? Repentance. Turn to Jesus. Acts 20, verse 20 to 21. Paul writes, or Luke writes, but it's, it's Paul saying, I kept nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I will say that repentance and faith are very closely linked. Repentance is the avenue through which I come into faith. But without the act of turning, I, I am unable to... Faith is not just something I can add to myself in my current mindset and attitude. That needs to change to align itself with God's word and God's intent in order for me to be operating in the God kind of faith. Like I said, the message in many churches today is that we simply believe that Jesus died, He paid for our sins, and if we say a prayer and confess Him as Lord, that we will be saved. Now, is there truth in that? Yes, of course. If that if prayer is prayed from a repentant heart, there is truth in it. But without the heart that is yielded, we're mouthing words. So according to this practice, we need to first of all take responsibility for our sin. What does that mean? The same as that prodigal son came to himself. When we're in the presence of God, it's like we come to ourselves. We see the wrong in our attitudes. We can see it for the truth that it is. We acknowledge our need for a Savior. In other words, we understand there's nothing we could do to make up for this. There's no penance. There's no thing that we can do that would make what we have done or, or the condition we are in okay. And we ask for forgiveness. We ask God to forgive us. And by the way, folks, let me just state this for anybody who may be doubting this. God wants to forgive. If God was not quick to forgive, if God did not want to separate our sin from us and get it out of the way, He never would have sent Jesus. So God's desire, like I say, is this invitation saying, please turn to me because I want to wipe this out of your life so that you and I can have unhindered fellowship. Then confess faith, believing in Jesus Christ and His power of His finished work on the cross receiving the forgiveness and in so doing, turning from our sin towards God's righteousness. Derek Prince says that without exception, throughout the entire New Testament, repentance is the first response to the gospel that God demands. Nothing else can come before it. Nothing else can take its place. Now, I want to talk about the two-part expression of repentance. You'll see that it really, um, I'm, I'm 
I'm focusing in this next section on the full part of repentance. Not just the turning away from something, but we're going to go all the way through to the turning towards something. Colossians 1.13 says, He, speaking of Christ, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Now, here's the point. Any kind of repentance or consecration or sanctification, there's some other big words, I'm not going to go into those tonight. What they speak about is coming out of one thing into another. Being separated from one thing that you may be given completely to another. Anytime these, these are mentioned in scripture, there's always a twofold application. The one is always a deliverance or a turning from something to something else. You know, if I, for example, say this mug here is, is it's my mug, but there we go, I'm putting it down. This is no longer my mug. So now what do we know? We know that this mug is not mine. Whose mug is it? Who does it now belong to? Who decides what to do with this mug? You, you understand the point. Just to try and come out of something is not enough. And I think many believers... They understand that there are parts of their lives that they want to come out of, ways of thinking that they want to come out of. But unless there's something for them to embrace and to give themselves to, that's often where they get stuck. The principle is that the former condition must be dealt with, repented of, turned from, before you can lay hold or enter into the new one. And we need to identify with both parts of the process. So true repentance, both acknowledges sin, and turns from it towards God, thereby embracing something new. Let me give you another example of this. It's a silly example, but close your eyes for me if you would. And just where you are, I want you to imagine. Imagine something. Close your eyes, play along. I want you to imagine a slice of chocolate cake. Now this is a deep, dark, rich piece of chocolate cake. There is beautiful thick layers of caramel between each layer of this cake. Wonderful frosting. There's even whispers or chuckles on top. It is decadent. It looks so delicious. It is moist. Now I want you to stop thinking about that piece of cake. How did that go? How many of you are still licking your lips and salivating because of my description of that piece of cake? But now if I had to say to you, I want you to suddenly think of uh, uh, an ice cream, or I want you to think of a bowl of broccoli. I have now given you something else to think towards. The, the, the cake, I mean, yeah, it was there. It was a great idea, but now we're on to bowls of broccoli. I, you cannot just stop something in your life with, and move away from something or get rid of something without replacing it with something. There's a principle in this. There's a key in this. So as if to say, if I'm wanting to move away from something or repent of something in my life, just trying to be sorry for it and ask God forgiveness in that area is going to mean that my natural inclination is going to take me back there because that's my habit. That's my old nature. That's my old way of thinking that needs to break. And I need to therefore embrace and give myself over to a new way of thinking. And when I look at my waistline, perhaps less cake and more broccoli is, is a good idea. 
So maybe I need to be separating from that some more and giving myself to more, more broccoli moments. Anyway, so here's what I'm wanting to say. That, that true repentance both acknowledges sin and turns away from it. And so we see in Hebrews 1 verse 6 that repentance is defined as repentance from dead works. And if you read Acts 2, 20, 21, it says repentance towards God. And so there you see the two. Repentance from dead works and repentance towards God. And that means that the act, I turn away from the dead works and I face towards God, ready to hear and obey His next command. Pastor Andreas says it well. He says, you know, it's not enough to love God. i never forget the first time I was in church and he said that. I was like, what? What do you mean it's not enough to love God? Isn't that what He commands us to do? And he says, no, it's not enough to love God. We also have to hate sin. Because there's something dualistic in our hearts that we think we can just love God and God will just love us and he'll be okay with our sin. And that's a fallacy. That's a lie. That's compartmentalizing our hearts. And God doesn't do that. He sees us as one, one man, one woman, one whole. But the truth is that true love for God means that we will want to keep his commandments. Jesus said that in John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's not some kind of manipulation. My daughters try that with me. Dad, do you love me? Yes, what do you want? Nothing! It's not that kind of manipulation. It is sincere. That if, you, if there is genuine love for me in your heart, the natural outworking of that is that you'll want to keep my commandments. And so like I said, it's about repenting or turning from dead works and towards God. So what are dead works? Let's define this. Let's, let's understand what it is that God wants us to turn from so that we can understand you know, how to cooperate with Him in the process. A dead work is any act or activity that is not founded upon repentance and faith. In other words, it's still rooted in my pride and in my self-will. It's what I want. It's about my opinion. It's about how I see things. It's about what I consider to be important. Me, 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 I. What, is the, what was it that the author of pride and of, of sin in this world, Satan, he said, I will ascend to the highest place. I will make myself like God. What is the, the great deception that Adam and Eve believed? That, oh, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God, and therefore you will know the difference between good and evil. In other words, you will be able to decide for yourself what you consider to be good and what you consider it to be evil. Let's bring it into this age. What is your truth? What is true to you? You see, these are all, it's, it's all the same deception that masquerades and presents itself in different ways throughout the ages, but it's all the same. It's all about me and my opinion. So anything that is birthed, anything that I do from that place is a dead work. Why? Because it has no life in it. God is the source of life. Jesus said, we're going to look at it just now. He said, I do only, I can do nothing apart from the Father. Jesus himself said, I can do nothing but what the Father shows me. What did he mean by that? Could he not do anything? It means he could do nothing of value, nothing that had the life and the power of the kingdom of heaven in it. And likewise, the same obviously is true of you and me. In other words, something not initiated from God is devoid of life and is therefore a dead work. It cannot produce life. Now, there's two categories in this. The first one is obviously 
anything that is done in our sinful nature before our conversion. This includes works of the flesh, which you'll find in Galatians 5, 19 to 20. Not going to go through those now for the sake of time. And also includes my confidence in my abilities, my ability to earn right standing with God, to do enough good things to make God happy with me. You know, it's important to realize, folks, that we are not sinners because we've sinned. What I have done has not made me a sinner. No, I was born with the nature of sin within me. Therefore, sin is the result of my sin nature. And that is what God is wanting me to turn away from. That's what repentance is all about. is turning from that sin to receive salvation in Jesus Christ. A new life becoming a new creation. And we'll get into that in the lessons that lie ahead. So we've spoken about dead works before salvation. In other words, while I was still a sinner. But what about when I become born again? What about when I'm a child of God and now I'm a believer? A dead work in my life would be any, any Christian service or anything that is not born of faith. In other words, of trust in God. Romans 14, 23, the end of that verse says, Whatever is not of faith is sin. That's a very sobering verse. That's, that's the kind of verse that you need to chew on and work through a little bit in your own mind and heart and in your own time with the Lord to understand what do you mean by that. In other words, anything that I am going at with full confidence in myself and my abilities, without trusting in God, in His leading, in His guiding, in His provision, in His grace, they're works of sin. They're work, these are dead works because they're not originated or they're not sourced in Christ Jesus. And this includes, like I've said, any sinful act. It includes anything done out of selfish ambition or motivated by pride, where I'm trying to show off my ego and show what... Uh, a great guy I am. I mean, that's why I had to shave my beard. I mean, I saw Phil's beard over there and well, there was just no contest. And my, you know, I had to repent, get rid of the beard and move on with my life. It also includes performance-based Christian service. In other words, look at all the things I've done for God. I, 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 I recently sat down with a few months ago, I sat down with somebody who was going through some financial difficulties in their lives. And they brought out a rep sheet. They brought out this, this sheet of saying, you know, over the years, this is how much I've given to God. And this is how much I've given to the poor. And this is what I've contributed there. And this, look how much I have done. Look how much I have given. And I thought, my word, you've, lost, you've missed the point. You've missed the point because your confidence is in what you have done. And therefore, you're expecting God to respond to you based on what you have done. You feel you deserve better. You know what, folks? I am so glad that I have not gotten from God what I deserve. Because what I deserve is to hang on the cross and to pay the price for my own sin. It was my sin that Jesus hung on the cross to bear. The wonderful thing is that I don't get what I deserve. And if I turn to Him and if I repent and turn from that. What is sin? Sin is to miss the mark. It's God's righteous standard. So now we understand what, what dead works are. I don't want to labor the point. And so we've got to turn away from things that are all about us, our will, our ego, what we want, and turn towards God. Repentance towards God means a change of mind concerning how we see God. Now this is powerful and this is really beautiful. 
I think of Hosea verse 5, uh, sorry, Isaiah verse 5, how many, 6 verse 5. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this portion of scripture, but Isaiah gets caught up in this vision and he sees God in his throne room and his, 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 his robe fills the entire room and there's cherubs and everyone's singing, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And there in that moment when he sees God, he says to himself, woe is me. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. When he saw the goodness and the great glory of God, he saw the wretchedness of his own state. And you see, when we begin to see God for who he is, and we begin to see ourselves from his perspective, our hearts naturally turn. It's like we're introduced to ourselves in the same way that the prodigal son was. He came to himself. We see the truth about ourselves for what it is, and we allow it to set us free from the lies and the deception that we've believed about ourselves. That's why I love the subject of repentance, because it sets me free. It gives me the ability to turn away from lies that I've embraced about myself, about God, about my situation, that I've believed to be true, but are not. They're lies. And I get to turn away from those and in faith, embrace God's heart for me, God's plan for me, and walk it out and live it out by the grace of God and, 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 and the power of His Holy Spirit. You see, repentance begins with God wooing me. The Bible says in Romans, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. The goodness of God that calls us to repentance. You know, I preached a sermon like that many, many years ago. I'll tell you the story because I love it. It's a funny story. I love the movie Pollyanna. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Pollyanna, but in the movie Pollyanna, there's this, this minister who's in small town America somewhere, and every Sunday he gets up in the pulpit and he preaches fire and brimstone. And the one Sunday he gets up and he says, Death comes unexpectedly, and Jehovah God will bring down his vengeance and wrath upon thee. And he's this turn and burn and heavy kind of message. And I was preaching a sermon on the goodness of God, and how the Romans says that the goodness of God turns us from, from, to, towards Him, leads us to repentance. And so I preached my message and the following Sunday I came back and I said, by the way folks, I found a little video clip of what I was sharing with you last week about this preacher. And so I play this clip of, you know, God's going to judge you, God's going to condemn you unless you repent. Yeah, he had a fish paste. It's a very short clip, but you know, death comes unexpectedly. You better repent. And I stopped the clip and I stand in front of the church and I said to you, now how many of you want to turn to God, you know, after hearing a message like that? Ha, ha, ha. There was somebody who was in the church for the first time that day and he stood up, his eyes as big as saucers. <laughs> he stood up and said, I want to receive Jesus. That was, my, uh, my whole thesis unraveled in a moment. It was very funny and it was uh, filled with laughter, of course. We, we prayed with him and led him to the Lord, but um, <laughs> really, it's true. That God woos us, God's love for us, the knowledge that God is not trying to punish me. God is not trying to condemn me. He's not there like this big bearded man with a stick waiting to punish me every time I do wrong. God's heart for me is mercy and is love and he longs to forgive me. You know, Jesus doesn't make it hard for, for, for us to enter into the kingdom. He came to pay the price for us. He took care of every requirement. It's not that, that Jesus is holding out on us. God has done everything He possibly can. And He just looks to us to turn 
and to come to Him and accept and receive that wonderful gift of salvation. But the truth is, we can't do it on our own. We need the help of God. We need His grace. Derek Prince says, Unless God first moves man toward Himself, man cannot of his own unaided will turn to God and be saved. It takes that revelation. It takes that coming to yourself. It takes that encounter, that moment with Him. And the fruit of repentance, or the evidence of repentance, is, is that we have an open heart towards God to receive the fullness of His grace. And I want to talk about grace for just a little while, because grace is another one of those subjects that I think is, is greatly misunderstood within the body of Christ. Are you guys all still with me? Thumbs up, you're right there. Not too much longer, but there's some, some good stuff still I have to share with you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, God is working in you both giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Uh, the, the New King James says He works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. So it's not just that God's... The, God is working in you. His new nature, Jesus Christ in you, is working so that your desires begin to line up with His desires and so that He can work His grace through you. Now, what is grace? Grace is not just divine favor. I think that is a poor, poor definition of grace. Grace is a product of God's favor. Another definition that I've heard is the acronym GRACE, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. That's a really good one. But the best definition I ever read for grace, I found in a, a study Bible, New Spirit Filled Life Bible, and uh, it said this, Grace is more than God's disposition or His impersonal favor. It is God meeting us at our point of need in the person of Christ with all His power and His provision. Wow! You see, grace is a person. It is Jesus Christ. It's a personal thing where He comes and He meets us where we are with His hand open. And He says, come, I am going to show you. I am going to take you there. You know, Jesus, never, Jesus says this to His disciples. He says, in this world, you are going to have many tribulations. Wow, that's encouraging. Thank you, Jesus. Then He goes on to say, don't be afraid. I have overcome the world. It's like he's saying, come, I'm going to show you how. That's what repentance is. It's this invitation of Jesus saying, you've got these difficulties. You've got these things that you're going through. Take my hand and come. I'm going to show you how to overcome them through, through, the, through, through the life that I will give you. So here's the conclusion as we begin to round out tonight's lesson. Repentance is a gift from God that brings us out of our selfishness, our sinfulness, our deception, and brings us into the glorious realization of the truth of Jesus Christ, of His life, of His overcoming power, working in and through us by faith. Romans 5.21 says, So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our Lord. What is grace? Grace is His ability. It's His presence working in us and through us. And therefore, we will experience God's grace, or God's grace will be effective in our lives to the same measure that we are yielded to Him, that we have repented. Our level of repentance, our level of cooperation will determine the level to which God's grace works in our lives. I found the statement the other day as I was doing further research into tonight's lesson. Father God is not waiting for returning rebels, but for repentant sons. If you think of 
the, 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 the parable of the prodigal son. The father God is waiting with his arms open wide, but he's not waiting for returning rebels that are just going to continue on in their own way. They're just coming back for what they can get. No, God is waiting for repentant sons. Those who have acknowledged that we're sinful, we've messed up, we've gotten it wrong. The way I'm going is not working, it's not right. And I'm going to embrace your way. I'm going to put away my way. I'm going to walk away from it. I'm going to turn from it. And Dad, I'm going to do things your way. So let's get practical here. Personal application. The way we position ourselves and remain in this place of humility and meekness is to adopt the heart attitude of Jesus when he said, and this is what I was quoting earlier on, uh, John 5.19, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but only but what he sees the Father do. For whatever the, he does, the Son does in like manner. You see, Christ emptied himself. Philippians 2 tells us that. You can go read the beginning of Philippians 2. He emptied himself of all glory, of all power, and he knew that when he came to earth, his, his ministry and his life were entirely dependent upon, upon God and waiting on God. And he of himself says, the Son of God, God incarnate, I can do nothing of myself. We as people like to sing, I did it my way. We take such pride in that. And we want our way and we want our opinions. But you know, the heart of a disciple, the heart of somebody who truly repented says, God, I don't want my will. I don't want my way. I don't want my opinions. They're broken. They're flawed. They're jaded. I want your way. I want your thoughts. I want your opinion. I want your life. Because that is truth. That is forever. That will stand when everything else is shaking and falling down. And I want to thank you that you bring me into that. And I can come into that through repentance. Now this is the attitude of continually dying to ourselves. Our own desires, our own ambitions to allow the life of Christ to come and live in and through us. You see, you and I have to allow it. It doesn't happen automatically. It's a deliberate turning away from all that is not of God and focusing wholeheartedly on Him. Luke 9, 23. This is what Jesus says. He says, If anyone desires to come after me, what must he do? First thing we've got to do, deny ourselves. Take up our cross, in other words, come what may, we're, we're in this, and follow me. Follow me is a practical thing. It's a verb. It's a do, doing word. I'm following his heart. I'm following his teaching. I'm following his grace. And so the repentance, in a nutshell, is the act of self-denial and the embracing of God's will and his desire for you. For you personally. It's personal. It is unique. Nobody else can repent for you, and you cannot repent of somebody else's stuff. This is personal and unique, and God wants to bring you into His plan for you. Not His plan for someone else, not for your spouse, for you. And His plan also, by the way, is not dependent on anybody else. You don't need to wait for somebody else to repent. You don't need to wait for somebody else before you can turn your heart and move deeper into the things of God. It's only you. It's your call. It's your choice. So, in doing this, as we turn our hearts away from our pride to embrace God's way and His thoughts, we begin to become partakers. Partakers. In other words, we share in and we experience the good of His mercy, of His forgiveness, of His grace, of His love, and of His life. 
His very life, the very essence of who He is, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to close out by reading a short excerpt from a book called The, the Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. This is what he has to say. Dying to self is not a thing we do once for all. There may be an initial dying when God first shows these things, but ever after it will be a constant dying. For only so can the Lord Jesus be revealed constantly through us. You see, the only life that pleases God and that can be victorious is His life. Never our life, no matter how hard we try. But inasmuch as our self-centered life is the exact opposite to His, we can never be filled with His life unless we're prepared for God to bring our life constantly to death. And in that, that, that one quote, we paraphrase why I say repentance is such a beautiful and empowering thing. Because it helps me move away from that which brings no life, that which is flawed and broken, into life, into grace, into the person and the power of God at work in me. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.